Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn about our podcast, daily devotional, how to contact us, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, answering questions about marriage. This is what Paul is saying. The Old Testament view about sex was very positive. It emphasized mutual satisfaction. The obligation is to have a satisfying sex life. Read Proverbs 5.19. I read it to you last week. Read the Song of Solomon, which is off limits until you're a certain age, even in Jewish circles, because it is very erotic. The idea here is that we are to have a healthy sex life within marriage. But I have to tell you that some of the ancients kind of got this wrong. In fact, they would argue that the only time that a husband and wife should have sexual intimacy was for procreation, to have children. Do you see Paul talk about that anywhere in this passage? Nope. Paul does not talk about procreation because sexual love is not just for having children. It's for your oneness. It's for your connection. Listen to Josephus, the Jewish uh, Roman historian. He says, quote, the law recognizes no sexual connections except the natural union of a man and wife and that only for the procreation of children, close quote. This is Philo, Jewish philosopher, lived a little before the time of Christ. He sneers that when married partners are having intercourse for pleasure, instead of for procreation, they are acting like pigs and goats, close quote. That's ridiculous. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that a husband and wife come together regularly for their intimacy, for their closeness, for the love and affection and joy that they enjoy with one another in the bedroom. And so it should be obvious that celibacy is not for marriage. And if a Corinthian person came home and said, I am now celibate, it leaves the other the other spouse or the partner in a very difficult spot. And that's why I kind of joke that maybe they're saying, send the letter to Paul, FedEx, overnight, please. I'm dying over here, somebody might say. Because it is a legitimate need to be satisfied, of course, in the context of marriage. And so that's why Paul says the wife can't just make this dogmatic claim The wife does not have authority over her own body. She can't just say, now you can't touch me anymore. But the husband does, and likewise also the husband, the husband can't say, I don't want to be with you sexually anymore, does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. I want you to notice in a very male-dominated culture at Paul's time, there's a mutuality here. It includes male and female. And that would indicate that maybe this was going both directions. Maybe some men had said, I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm going to now be celibate and whatever. And Paul has to address the issue. When he talks about the body not belonging to the wife alone, but to the husband and vice versa, Paul's comments are probably from the Song of Solomon. Because remember, Paul was a Jewish scholar. Song of Solomon 2.16 says, My beloved is mine and I am his. Song of Solomon 7 verse 10 says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. The Song of Songs is about sexual gratification. And the type of intimacy that Christians should enjoy 
is Song of Solomon type of intimacy. Now, there are going to be different seasons. There are going to be factors. There's going to be need for patience. There are seasons of life. There's stress. There's pressures. There's self-image. There's physicality. There's all these factors where we're going to need to be patient with one another. But you can see how even some of the ancient big names of years gone by got this wrong, and they put a wet blanket on the bedroom and it was sad and unnecessary and maybe it led people to having the wrong thought about intimacy and even could be a a reason for sin. And so finally in verse five, because I know you probably can't take much more, Paul says, stop depriving one another except by agreement or mutual consent, NIV, for a time that you may devote yourselves, the idea of, of the word is Uh, school, so it's a devotion singularly focused, to prayer, if you have a New King James, fasting and prayer, and come together again, that is sexually, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Remember, he's addressing a specific situation in Corinth, and he says to them, since you wrote me the letter, here's my answer, sexual relationships and marriage is blessed by God, stop depriving one another, stop it. You need healing in this area. You need to be with each other, regularly speaking. And if you decide to uh, not come together, it should be, verse 5, by agreement, which indicates that a couple's having good communication about their sex life, and only for a time or a season or a short time that you can devote yourselves to something that God may call you. For example, uh, there may be, it could be a feast day. For a time can imply a short season. Let's say it's, it's Sunday, it's the day of the Lord and you have a bunch of ministry stuff to do, stuff going on in the church. Maybe there's a fast going on. The Bible does enjoin abstinence during special holy days. Example, Joel 2.16, preparation for special missions or even to meet God like Exodus 19.15, Leviticus 15.18, and even to get ready, I think in this case, it has to do with war, 1 Samuel 21, 4 through 6, and 2 Samuel 11, 11 through 13. But keep in mind that sexual relationships uh, inside your marriage does not pollute you. It doesn't spiritually defile you. And even if you're married to a non-Christian right now and you're wondering about that, God would say, no, you continue as you are. You don't withhold intimacy just because your husband or wife is a non-Christian. You're married to them. So what you do is you pray for them that the Lord would use your witness to win them to Christ, but you don't withhold from them just because they're a non-Christian. That doesn't soil you. It doesn't pollute you. You're clean before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Your sexual intimacy should be a celebration of your love, not a place where it becomes a weapon or there's a bunch of hurts and wounds and so forth. And so obviously the remedies can be multi-layered, but ultimately I think it's about having God's heart for our spouse, loving each other, because the enemy's always looking for an opening. And Paul says, Devote, uh, he says, come together again, end of five, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If a marriage is unhappy in this area, it becomes an open door for the devil. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says if the, if the couple is not mutually uh, intimate with one another and finding satisfaction there, 
the devil will look for a foothold through pornography, adultery, etc. It doesn't excuse anybody's sin, but the reality is, is that Paul's giving you an indicator where the enemy works and how he works. Here's an example. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil what? An opportunity. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. That applies to anger. And here in your intimate life, you don't want to give the devil an opportunity. And so you want to surround your marriage with love and uh, closeness and where love is, as I mentioned, the devil will have no opportunity. Now, as we wind down, let me say to you that because of the humanness and our fallenness and our past experiences, this can be an area where we're going to need love and patience with one another. We're going to need perhaps refreshment and renewal. We're going to have to ask God for his heart in these areas of our life because we marriage is about two people trying to come together who are both have their quirks and their faults and their hurts and their wounds. And so what we need is the power of Christ uh, even in that part of our life. Let me close with this. When I have couples come in for premarital counseling, one of the things I tell them is our textbook for your premarital is going to be the Bible, so bring your Bible. And in the first session, I talk about Genesis and I say, you know, when uh, God placed Adam in the garden, he, he told him to, uh, to um, have an environment where he would cultivate the garden and keep it. Cultivation is an environment for growth, and to keep it is to guard it. Genesis 2.15, to cultivate it and keep it. So Adam was placed there, and God allowed him with his headship that would have been given to him to name the animals. So animals were parading by, perhaps in twos, and, and Adam would name them. He would give a name to this animal and that animal and that animal. But it came out in the biblical narrative that there was not found a helper suitable for him. And God, after he'd called all these things that he had made good, 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 he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The word helper in the Hebrew picture language could mean ally. It literally means one who can see the enemy. Isn't that interesting? But a few verses later, where's Eve? right by the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, talking with the enemy. And the enemy gets her to doubt God's word and God's goodness. And of course, she eats of the forbidden fruit and she, Genesis 3, 6, gives to her husband who was with her and he eats. What was Adam doing? He's supposed to cultivate an environment of growth. He's supposed to keep and protect and he didn't protect his wife from the snake. He should have stood between his wife and the serpent, but he was sitting there probably watching football. She hands him the forbidden fruit. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. What in the world's he doing? Well, you know, when God made the woman, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he did a divine surgery. He took one of his ribs. Uh, Adam was under the divine you know, medication, whatever it was, he was sleeping. Perhaps the rib you could picture as glistening with his DNA, his very life. And God took that rib and he created a woman out of the rib that he had taken from Adam. He sealed up the flesh. 
And God is the first father of the bride of all time. Because God takes Eve, he walks her down the aisle to Adam and gives her away. Hi, I'm Sydney from Norco, California, and you're listening to Walk in Truth. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. He did a divine surgery. He took one of his ribs. Uh, Adam was under the divine you know, medication, whatever it was, he was sleeping. Perhaps the rib you could picture as glistening with his DNA, his very life. And God took that rib and he created a woman out of the rib that he had taken from Adam and he sealed up the flesh there. And God is the first father of the bride of all time because God takes Eve, he walks her down the aisle to Adam and gives her away. And when Adam sees her, he's been naming all these animals. No, that one doesn't fit me. That one doesn't fit me. That one doesn't fit me. He says, whoa, man. It's a little pause in the... But he goes, she's pretty. That's an ad by Pastor Michael. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. She wasn't taken from the bottom of his feet to be less than him. She wasn't taken from the top of his head to be above him. She was taken from his wounded side next to his heart to fulfill that place in the human longing for love and to be a picture of Christ and the church. But of course, we know what happens, right? The very next chapter, there's a fall. And the rest of the story of the Bible is talking about the last Adam who's coming. The first Adam messed it up, along with his wife. The last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, is a life-giving spirit. Fast forward to another garden, thousands of years later. In the first garden, Adam didn't stand between his, the serpent and his wife. She had come from his wounded side, and they fall. In another garden, several thousand years later, the Garden of Gethsemane, the last Adam is there with his bride, his apostles. And the serpent comes again. This time, he has possessed Judas Iscariot. Judas has gone, and he's received money to betray the last Adam. He comes, there's a bunch of people with swords and clubs, and, and they've got torches, and they come into the garden. 
And, they, and Jesus says to them, who do you seek? And remember, they all fall down. And then he says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus steps forth, forth, faces the serpent, and he says, if it's me that you want, let these go their way, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that of those you gave me, I lost not one of them. Do you know that when Jesus goes to the cross the very next day, he gets wounded in his wrists and his feet, and one of the last things that the Romans do to him as he has breathed his last is a Roman takes a sword and pierces him right in the ribs, between his ribs, and actually causes his heart to burst. The Bible says out of that hole flowed blood and water. Do you know the, the beautiful picture is this? That the last Adam gives birth or life to his bride also out of his wounded side. And Jesus Christ has loved you to the uttermost. And Paul says, husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church, listen, and gave himself up for her. That's how you love her. Let me ask you, if a husband is loving his wife in that way and a wife is respecting her husband in the way the Bible calls, is there gonna be any imbalance? Is there gonna be any room for selfishness or pettiness or demands or whatever you wanna say? No, because the Spirit of God will be breathing life into that marriage. Here's our struggle, though. We have to pray every day, oh God, and I, this is my regular prayer. Here's my beautiful wife. Help me to love her as you love me. I pray that because I want to love you well. I'm going to try not to cry. <laughs> so I know that this is tough. This is a tough area. There's a lot of brokenness a lot of potential pain, maybe some forgiveness that's needed, healing. But I'm just saying to you, Christ's plan for your marriage is beautiful. It's good. It's right. It's so sad that Satan has soiled this and brought so much confusion, so much hurt, so much pain. And this is where we need grace. Grace for each other to know that from the last Adam's wounded side, he showed us what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. If you ever have a doubt about what to do, take a fresh look at the cross, and the rest will take care of itself. Father, thank you so much for this time together in your holy word. This is a, a tough area to talk about, but it's here in our Bibles, and we need biblical clarity, but we also need strength to live it out, Lord. So let your love flow through us toward our spouse. Where there is hurt and pain from past issues, where there's confusion, where there's a need for forgiveness or uh, just a, a desire for renewal, I pray that that would take place. I pray that the governing verses of 1 Corinthians 16, 14 and 1 Corinthians 13, really the whole thing, would, would help us to see how to navigate this area of our lives. But I pray that we'd be able to celebrate our intimacy with our spouse. There's nothing like it 
It's such a deep and beautiful relationship. And even as the years go by and the seasons change, you are so faithful. And I pray that you would be a husband to those who don't have a spouse right now, those who have been divorced, maybe even abandoned, those who have been in a situation where their spouse has passed away and maybe they have questions about what to do. Uh, But I pray that you would just be the husband to anybody who has loneliness and struggles and hurts, Uh, anybody who feels guilt or even false guilt that the enemy would want to throw at us. I pray that none of that would, would be here, Lord, that we would know that we're forgiven, we're free. You're working a sanctifying work in us and we can rest in your finished work as you continue to mold and shape us into your image. I pray that in Jesus' name and with your head and heart bowed. If you've not met this Jesus, you've not met the last Adam, the Savior, the God who loves you and will always love you, would you open your heart to him? Would you rededicate your life? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm hurting from what what was done to me or what I've done to others. Please Forgive me. Thank you that you nailed my sin to the cross. You've made me clean. In your sight, you took my punishment and my shame at the cross as though you had committed my sins. It's amazing love. I trust in you. I rededicate myself to you, my marriage to you, my singleness, whatever it may be. I just want to follow you, Lord. I want to be a person that shows forth the gospel and how I love others, especially my spouse. So Father, just may your healing waters, may your salve, may the beauty of who you are, the redemption, the gospel, the love of Christ, may it cheer our hearts, lighten the weights that we sometimes put on our shoulders, and may you make your people a free people indeed. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and this was part three of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, answering questions about marriage. Hey, we want to say thank you so much to the new financial partners for joining us in our mission to broadcast on more radio stations and to do more free apologetic teaching events. We've had some one-time donors too, and we're really grateful because that helped out our overall budget. I want to make it clear that we're not saying help us or we'll disappear from the radio station. The Lord and our existing partners have made it possible to be on this awesome station. Also because of the wonderful generosity of the folks behind this radio station. Anyway, we're asking for a new partnership with you. If we can get more listeners to commit to giving at least $30 a month, we can reach our goal and join more radio stations and do more events to reach the community. And did we mention that some of those stations are secular ones? We want to reach people that might not have even heard the gospel before please commit what you can. So please visit walkintruth.com and click donate. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, as I do premarital, I've done a lot of premarital for couples uh, over the years, and I've done postmarital counseling as well. (laughs) But you know, as I talk to couples about marriage, you know, marriage is not easy and we have our questions. And one of the sessions that's always fun for me is to talk about submission in marriage and headship. (laughs) Watch both the man and the woman squirm and read body language. It's always interesting. And, And we do know that there's a balance there, right? A woman is supposed to submit to the headship of her husband as he leads her and loves her as Christ loves the church. 
You might have questions about headship and submission. What does that mean? Was that just back in Paul's day or does it apply today? Oh, it applies today. God has an order and he has an order for a reason. And that's why you need to know your Bible. That's what the Bible teaches and talks about. That's why you need to be a student of God's Word. Hey, speaking of God's Word, I'd love to invite you out to our Wednesday night service at 7 p.m. at Living Truth. We're doing special Advent messages surrounding the coming of Jesus, the first coming of the God-man Jesus who would become incarnate for us, God in flesh, And we're going to be celebrating that all of December at Living Truth. If you'd like to come out for a Wednesday night service at 7 p.m., the church is at 1009 Arsenal Way, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. Download our app in your app store today, and you can find out about all the events that are coming up, like Bible studies for men and women, Sunday services, and a very special Christmas celebration this Saturday, December 7th, at Living Truth in Corona. We're going to have hot cocoa. We're going to have ornament decorating, cookie decorating, pony rides, food, Christmas carols, some fun games for the family. This is something to bring your whole family out. Slow down a little bit. Spend a couple hours with us at a special Christmas celebration at Living Truth in Corona. That's this Saturday, the 7th. Find out information and directions when you go to walkintruth.com, when you download our Living Truth app, or call us during normal business hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. We'll see you here. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Tune in tomorrow as Pastor Michael continues his study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, answering questions about marriage. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.